Welcome to What Do Parents Know with me, Amit Kelly. We're talking today about um, exam anxiety and peer pressure and some of the things that come along that. So obviously students up and down the country, certainly in year 11 and year 13, would probably be going through a lot of exam anxiety in the summer term based on GCSEs and A-levels. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Michael Thorpe. Michael is a a, a teacher, uh, a mental health consultant and the founder of an organisation Being Me. Uh, Michael, thanks very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. No worries. Good to be here. Thank you. So just, um, I mean, we'll talk about the exam anxiety thing in a moment, but Being Me, that's the, an organisation that you you started. What is it that you focus on? Yeah, so we try and put together like tailor-made programmes for different schools based around different aspects of mental health and wellbeing. So it could be to do with mindfulness, um, social connections, diet, exercise, just trying to make students and teachers, you know, well-rounded um, and, uh, you know, ensuring they've got all the tools to cope with the stresses, anxieties of life, really. Yeah, and and obviously I mentioned you're a teacher, you teach history um, at a school in Derbyshire, um, but you're also a mental health consultant. So are these two things that you balance with each other? Yeah, uh, it can be difficult, big time. Um, I think that if I'm being completely honest, you know, I absolutely love teaching. I love being in the classroom, but my true passion has always been mental health. You know, myself, I was a a school refuser. So my attendance in year nine, year 10 and year 11 was like 25%. You know, I wow. struggled, yeah, that badly with anxiety. I just couldn't, I couldn't leave the house. There was nothing, there was no bullying. There was no, um, nothing wrong with school, nothing wrong with teachers or anything. I just literally, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't cope. And so that led me down that avenue to just learn and learn and learn as much yeah. about mental health as possible and hopefully stop some students going through, you know, what I went through. So looking back at, at that time, obviously, are you now in a position where you can pinpoint what might have led to you becoming a school refuser or you're still not sure why it was? It's crazy, you know, I get asked that quite a lot and I'd love to be able to say, I, I know, like I'd love to be able to say it was this or that, but genuinely, um, you know, there was there was a few issues home-wise, but, and I know that now, doing the research that I have, I found that often depression runs in one side of the family and that's definitely got something to do with it. But honestly, I, I can't pinpoint it. And I think, honestly, that's what scared me the most, the fact that I couldn't pinpoint it and I couldn't tackle one thing the fact that it could have been many things and I still don't know this day. Yeah. That's I suppose, what makes me, you know, it made me set up being me because that's why we try and focus on not just one area, but focus on five or six different things. And when it came to uh, exams, obviously picking up your GCSEs and then going on to, to, to studies after that, I mean, did that anxiety that you, you were suffering, did it, were you able to do your GCSEs and get good enough results to progress to the next stage? I was dead lucky. I think um, I was very lucky in the sense that, I was naturally not overly bright, but, you know, for the, for the amount of school I missed, I should have got a terrible, terrible grade. Sure, sure. Um, but I sort of like scraped, you know, a pass in most things. And, you know, I came out with a decent set of grades. Um, I would say that the exam thing for me, um, it was the social anxiety of entering the hall, of sitting there, of being around my peers, you know, and that's what really got to me. It wasn't what the paper meant. And it wasn't the idea that this is my future. It was more being in the hall, you know, for that amount of time going into the hall, finding my seat. You know, it might sound quite strange to people, but it's becoming more and more common as well, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So something was, something was what you're saying, something inside of you was was not allowing you to, 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 to go into a, an open area like a hall to see your peers, to see your, what would have been friends and also people who perhaps weren't your friends and to sit down and take an exam. But uh, yeah, we do see a lot of that actually. We, and, and, and you know, we, we link a lot of that to the stress of exams, but you're saying your school refusal actually started a bit earlier than GCSEs. It was sort of year nine time. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look back again, 
there were certain things in primary school where, you know, alarm bells might have been flashing then. You know, I was very, um, I didn't like change. I hated change. And I know that a lot of students don't like change and children in general don't like change, but I was really, really anti any sort of change. Um, so looking back, yeah, I used to get really, I used to overthink everything and plan through everything, even as young as, you know, like year five, year six. Mm. I had to make sure things were a certain way. And I suppose part of the issue we're seeing nowadays with students is the exam by its very nature, you don't know what you're going to get. And yeah. so that's part of the problem. You know, if you knew what the exam was, there'd be no issues. But unfortunately, yeah. that's the, the nature of the beast. And do you feel that you got the the support that you needed at the time, both from school, from home, from from wherever your safe places were? Were you supported in the right way? Um, home, massively, like literally family and friends, incredible, you know, well, I, I hid it from the outside world, as in my friends, to them, I was a skyver, and I played on that, you know, I said that, oh yeah, you know, I'm skyving, you know what I mean, and I, Made you look cool I, then, I guess, exactly, I was trying to be, um, but I dare, you know, I dare tell them that I was struggling with anxiety, my family knew me inside out, when it came to school, I think, you know, you know better than me, I think school's especially in your role, schools have changed so much in the past 10, 15 years where a student, it's, it, it's very difficult to slip through the net when it comes to attendance nowadays. Definitely, definitely. We're looking, we're looking back, you know, I think I probably should have got a few more phone calls home if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So just, I mean, thinking about what you do in terms of, of being me and, and, you know, fast forwarding to today and the whole pressures around exam anxiety, obviously the COVID situation has added perhaps... On the one hand, it's taken away a bit of pressure in terms of the exam, but on the other hand, it's added probably more anxiety because you're reliant on teacher-led grades and all this kind of you know different scenarios that could that could exist. But how do you how how do you go about picking the signs of exam anxiety? And once you've picked those signs, how do you go about dealing with the anxiety that might exist in individuals? Yeah, you know, it, it's tough because I think you look on a lot of different websites and they give a, a whole list of different things to look out for. But the truth is that list covers every single type of child going. Um, so I think it, it's really important that parents, as they do, they understand the children, the same with teachers. And I think what you're looking for is a change in behaviour and attitude for a sustained period of time. Because teenagers, by their very nature, you know, you, you name me a teenager who doesn't have mood swings. It happens. Yes, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's when, it's when it's clearly happening for an, a matter of weeks and also, I notice quite a lot, they'll become, they'll start to get certain things like the hand may start twitching more or, you know, you, you'll find them overthinking other things because what they're doing, they, they're overthinking and overthinking the exam and that is spilling out into other things. If they're talking about the exam, if they're revising far too much, that's a big one. That's a big one that sometimes, you know, as schools, we do let ourselves down a little bit that the very good students, the best students, they put a lot of hours into revision but actually some of them are doing a crazy, crazy amount where actually it's going beyond the point of being healthy and it's becoming like an obsession. You know, we shouldn't be revising until like 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. No, I was just going to say there's the whole thing about sometimes you you can revise hard, but you're not revising smart. Um, exactly. You know, sometimes shorter, shorter, powerful sessions of revision are much more effective than sitting there for six hours reading a textbook from front to back. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's, it's that side of things where sometimes I think we make, the, we make the mistake of thinking, well, they just want to do well. Of course they do. You know, they're working really hard, but it goes beyond that point. And also when they start avoiding other social things, you know, it's quite hard now in COVID because there's nothing social to do. But uh, normally if they're avoiding spending time with their friends, if they're avoiding going out, 
and they, they want to revise instead, that's another big sign. So yeah, absolutely. it's about that sustained change. In your experience as a, as a sort of regular classroom teacher, I'm assuming you teach year 11, you teach year 13, you teach at the, the different levels. Um, yeah. Exam anxiety, is it only something that the most academic students suffer from because they are the ones who are revising really hard? Or do your ones in the sort of middle and lower sets who give the impression perhaps that they don't care so much about their exams, do you have experience of actually some of those suffering from real exam anxiety as well? Well, big time. And I think it's it's that old age thing of being a teenager where you don't always show your true intention. You know, a lot of people in lower sets, they are panicking about the exams, but they don't want to show it. And I think what we're seeing more and more of is they're often put into years, you know, into sets in year 10 and year 12 and fast forward 12 months and they've matured as a student and they really care and they're panicking even more because they, they somehow think that their education's been substandard because they're not in top set, which, as we know, is not the case at all. Yeah, but in their head, they're thinking, if I'm not in top set, I'm not going to top grade. Um, and I think one more thing as well, I mean, what I'm thinking is that there's also an obsession with target grades. That's another sign to look out for. If your child is really obsessed with their target grades and talking about it and how they get that nine and how they get that eight or how they get that A star, Again, that can be a sign that they're panicking about the exam because they're overthinking the outcome rather than the actual goal. No, absolutely. And, 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 you know, we know what target setting can do, not just in, in education, in lots, of, uh, in lots of fields. But let's say, let's say we've got a parent then who does have a child who is constantly talking about the need to get a nine or their target grade is a seven, but they've set their own target of a nine. Actually, a seven for me is not good enough. I deserve yeah. to have a nine. What, what can parents really do to support their teenage child who is putting so much pressure on themselves to get grades that might be out of their reach. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a few different areas. The first one to me is to, to really be a role model. And what I mean by that is all, all parents, we want our students, sorry, we want our children to go outside more, to worry less, you know, to not talk about exams as much. We have to lead by example. So what I mean by that is if they go out for a walk every single day and they ask their child every single day, even just 15, 20 minutes, they might say no nine times out of 10. Mm. But that one time you've broken the back of it and it becomes more regular. The same with going for a run or anything like that. Um, get them to do family things, you know, put the family first. We do this in being me. We do this amazing thing where we ask the child to interview the grandparent. So we get them to, to call up the grandparent and just say, look, you know, have a chat with grandparent. What was it like back in your day? And about anything in particular or, or, or just oh, a yeah. random sort of conversation? Well, thinking about the, the stresses they have, like, because it's incredible because what they do is they start talking about, you know, they're stressed out about exams and they're stressed out, you know, about how they look and they're stressed out um, about maybe what's coming in the future or, you know, their, the, the boy they like or whatever. And I'm telling you now, their grandparents had a whole different world and it puts their <laughs> life in perspective. It's amazing. Honestly, it's absolutely amazing to, because it's something that sounds so simple, so simple, but talking to your family more and talking to your grandparents is key. Um, and I think encouraging those social connections with your children to so talking to them about, you know, when did you last see, you know, X or Z and maybe go out and have some fun, you know, really encourage it because it's one thing saying something that you want them to feel less anxious. It's another thing to really almost enforce it in a good way. You know, keep yeah. talking about getting outside and, and those sort of things. And a big one that we're key on is mindfulness, you know, and this is something that, if you want my honest opinion, Amit, the, the issue is that with mindfulness is it was created and brought into the Western world in like the 1960s. And the problem is 
it was great for our generation, but too often now, the Generation Z kids, you know, the 1990s plus, yeah, yeah. they find it a bit fluffy. Let's be honest. They well, find I'll, tell, I'll, be, I'll be really honest with you. I mean, I, I was, um, I remember being sent something a little yeah. while ago, which was a sort of mindfulness piece of colouring. And it was all these small little shapes that I could colour however I wanted. And I did yeah. look at that and I thought, give me a break. Like, yeah, you know, this, this, honestly. When I read up a bit about, a bit more about mindfulness, when I actually gave the colouring a go, I realised that it was just giving me a, a bit of a stress release without me doing too much. Yeah, well, that's uh, well, that's the problem is that it those sort of tasks were very much created for you know many not say many many years ago, but different generations. Whereas now, you know, this generation, the students, they're more self aware, they're more emotionally intelligent, they're more culturally aware, politically aware, and so what it takes is something a bit different. So what we talk about is getting them every single day to set an intention, to sit quietly and to try and rationalise their thoughts one by one. Because what they'll be doing is they'll be thinking about exam stress mm. and, and they'll be thinking, right, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And as a parent, if you do it with them and say, right, let's take each thought one by one. Because at the minute, you've got a thousand going through your head. So one by one, the parent sits down with the child. What's your first one? You know, what if I fail? Okay, well, let's go through that. What if you fail? A, you won't because you've never failed with this sort of thing in your life. You know, you're a great student. You won't fail. Yeah. And worse to work, you know I mean? and you're talking through them bit by bit. And then you journey almost, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's so difficult to rationalise it, especially when you're a teenager and you're in that bubble. And so as parents, it's so important sometimes just to show them how to rationalise things. And importantly, just taking bit, you know, breaking it down into little easy, you know, mm. single thoughts. Yeah. And then with the intention is thinking, right, today, you know, what would it look like for you to not worry about exam anxiety? Because... Yeah. They'll be saying it, but they're thinking, right, well, what does that look like? And get them to talk about it. That's a key thing. I mean, the, the, the truth is, and, and, and the problem with this all is, obviously, that, that's great advice. And I think uh, anybody listening should, should heed that advice. But the, the problem that we've got is there are so many parents up and down the land who are, A, either too busy, or at least they will say that they're too busy to have these kinds of conversations with their kids, or B, haven't got the ability or the, or the, or the want to have those conversations with their kids. And, and that's when I think sometimes kids are left almost to their own devices. And that's when the anxiety really creeps up because there's no let out for them. Uh, the anxiety is, is, is festered in school because that's sometimes what schools are about, uh, sadly. Um, and then they have no release for that anxiety because they need the adult intervention. But if the adult intervention is not there from home, what is it that, um, that parents, I mean, you know, really need to do to support their children in this? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think as well, it's that, it's a great point you make is that, again, unfortunately, as children, if your parent asks to do something, a lot of people straight away are like, I don't want to do it because they've asked me or they're trying to talk yeah. to me about it. Yeah. Where we live in. Um, so I think it's also involving yourself and understanding their world a bit more. So, you know, they're into tech so much and it's all about the phones and social media and, and being tech savvy. And so sometimes having that conversation, look, I know you're struggling and give them, show them an app such as Headspace. You know, Headspace is... They've got loads now developed just for that age group yeah. and get them to say, look, you know, even throw in there like a little bonus, like saying, look, if you do for two weeks, if you do five minutes each morning of headspace, then I'll give you a treat two weeks time. You know, bribery yeah. sometimes <laughs> have wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it can I, called sometimes... it, I called it incentivize. You called it bribery. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm honest. I'm it. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, look, the next, the next question I wanted to ask you really, which is, not only is there exam anxiety that, that goes through young people, there's also peer pressure when it comes to exams. The idea that if I'm in, in whatever set I'm in, my friend's in a different set or my friend is smarter than me 
or the person that I hate the most at school is smarter than me. I must therefore achieve as much as that person. We must, I mean, you must deal with loads of that in the classroom in terms of wanting to be like somebody else when it comes to exams. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a, one of the biggest life lessons that, you know, we learn a lot older is the idea of being individual, you know, that, and also let's be honest, it's not always the grades which equal a perfect life. You know, you, you look at most of the people that I work with, with regards to in other industries, you know, they, they didn't come out with, you know, they went all top set. They went all straight A stars and straight nines. Absolutely. It's understanding that it's the person that matters, you know, it's being individual and sticking to, to yourself that, that really counts. I think the message that really, you know, to, to give to young people, and perhaps you and I do it on a regular basis because we work in, in education, is that actually ultimately, as much as we say that their GCSEs and their A-levels at the time are really, really important, they're not the be-all and end-all. Goodness me, if you get three Cs in your A-level or you get a bunch of fours in your GCSEs, it doesn't mean you can't go on to be the CEO of a very large organisation and be incredibly successful and, and I guess, wealthy, if that matters. Yeah. Um, that's a really key message, isn't it? Absolutely. And the idea that, you know, my dad taught me at a really young age, he kept saying to me, Michael, life does not begin until you're 30. And he mm-hmm. kept saying it over and over again. And at the time, obviously, I was a teenager thinking, you're talking absolute rubbish. Yeah. But looking back, you know, all those things that I thought would happen, you know, I thought that I have to get this grade to get onto that. I have to do this. It never, ever turns out like you think it will. But that's that's a good thing. And so you're absolutely right that these grades, we go on as teachers about trying to get the nines and A stars. But the truth is, yeah, it is not a passport to some sort of higher paid job. And actually, if we, you know, we do something where we look at, you know, previous students have gone on to other things. And some of the ones that, you know, got mediocre grades by, you know, some standards have gone on to some amazing, amazing things. Well, that's about providing inspiration, I guess, isn't it? That's really, yeah. really important. So do you ever tell your kids in your in your history class at GCSE or at A-level, do you ever tell them that actually ultimately, you know, yes, it's important for you to get good grades. And, and dare I say it, for you as a teacher, it's important that your kids get good grades. Um, but ultimately, even if you don't, the world is not over. Yeah, and honestly, I, I use me an example, you know, and I, I I don't mean to think that I don't try and say to them, you know, I've made it in some way, shape or form. Right. You know, I literally, I scraped, like genuinely scraped, you know, nowhere near my targets. I scraped a, a, D, a D in science. I got literally just a C in maths and I literally scraped it by two marks. History, yeah. which I teach, rest assured, I did quite well in that. You know, <laughs> I, got an e, I got an E in technology. I failed German. I got a U in German. And, you know, the point is that, just because one door may shut because of that, loads and loads come open because of it. And so it's, it's like you say, it's, it's getting them to understand it's not all about grades and your life will go in a completely different way to what you think anyway, in a positive way. But how do we, how do we change that narrative then? Because everything that we, we you know, in schools, ultimately the goal is to get those GCSEs because that's when you finish in year 11. And if you carry on into A-level or B-Techs or whatever it is you might be doing to get the best grades at that level... And if you don't get those grades, you can't go to the university that you want to go to or get onto the apprenticeship that you want to get onto. How do we shift that narrative? How do how can parents help shift that narrative as well as schools so that kids realise that actually, yes, grades are important. Yes, exams are important. But ultimately, there are far more other ways to, to get into the kind of career that you want to get into than just focusing on getting that A star in biology or that, or that A in geography. Yeah, absolutely. There's two things that stick out for me. One for teachers and for parents, the language we use. How many times in schools do you see somebody say, you know, this is important, it's on the exam. You know, they yeah. start that sentence with that and then suddenly the, the, the children are like, oh my God, this is this is big. So same with parents, you know, the more that we talk about exams, 
what happens, the more they panic about it. So that's one key thing. The second thing is we've lost, you know, we really have lost something where we need to get them to read and research things they are genuinely interested in. Like for me, I was obsessed with serial killers. Don't ask me why I'm it. Honestly, as wow. a, honest, at university and before that, you know, as a, as a late teenager, I was just obsessed with serial killers and understanding their psychology. Like right. literally, I used to read and read and read about it. And that's made me a lot better, you know, my vocabulary and my essay writing skills because I read something that I wanted to read, not being forced to read, you know, sorry, to, to read a textbook or to read something that will help with my exams. So I think really, you know, day out with the family, go places where you genuinely want to go and read things you genuinely want to read because that is so important, so important. So ultimately, it's about a parent investing in their child, isn't it? It's about if, if a child says, you know, my interest is 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 model railways, or another one says my interest is action heroes, or another one says whatever. They might they might not be an interest to you as a parent. You might have no interest whatsoever in, in whatever it is that your kids interested, dinosaurs or whatever. But ultimately, you've got to invest in that interest to to really allow that child, allow the teenager to to find their own strengths and and, and their ability to research. Ultimately, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. I was really into history, you know, and serial killers as a, yeah, <laughs> as a teenager. But with history, you know, they took me places, parents, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, far away, but they took me places because I was so interested. And I can still picture those days now, you know, going to like Bosworth Battlefields or, you know, visiting some of the landmarks, you know, round around the Midlands, you know, they've stuck with me. And so you're right, you're absolutely right. It's the idea of investing in them, not just something that you may be, enjoy yourself yeah how can a parent then help children uh, their teenagers revise smart because again we, we talked about it a little bit earlier um a lot of young people think that actually spending six hours revising from a textbook i mean i remember when i was at school actually and i remember we'd all come back to school the next day and we'd all compare how much we'd revised the previous night and if a friend of mine said he did five hours i'd only done two i'd feel terrible and think mm. gosh he's done five hours i've done two he's gonna get better grades than i am and of course yeah. we know that that's absolutely not true um but how can parents encourage their, their children, their teenage children to revise smart rather than to revise long. Yeah, I think it's about, because like you said then, I mean, there's a difference between how much you're revising and then what you tell your friends. It's a, it's a big thing that is because personally, what I've said to a lot of parents in the past is tell your child, you know, you are stopping at eight o'clock and you literally go up to the room and you stop them revising at eight o'clock because then when they go to school the next day, with the pet with their with their mates they can say oh well i want to keep revising but my me, me dad wouldn't let me you know, <laughs> yeah you've got a win-win there as, as, as a student you really have um but as well i think is it's the idea of like you said revising smarter is getting them to try lots of different ways of revising the amount of students that i see rewriting notes or you know flashcards they they can work well but it's what works for you as a student so again get the parents to educate themselves on different ways of revising get them with the students, try a few different ways and then see what works best for them. Because like you know, there's no perfect way to revise, far from it. No, absolutely. And also, the, we, we shouldn't underestimate the importance of, even within your revision timetable, doing things that you actually enjoy. Nobody really enjoys revising. So if you enjoy watching half an hour of EastEnders every evening or you enjoy going for a cycle or, or, or whatever it is, you shouldn't feel guilty doing some of those things because that ultimately would alleviate some of the anxiety you might be feeling and help you de-stress yeah, and it makes them more productive. That that's and again, all the research shows that that if if a, if a student gets outside for half an hour a day, they become more productive when it comes to retention, you know, and 
how they work when it comes to revising. So again, it's encouraging that, that do what you love. Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to touch upon actually is something that you, you do talk about when you, when you run your being me sort of sessions and days and conferences, um, the impact that exam anxiety and peer pressure can have on our diet uh, and teenagers' diet and the way teenagers look at themselves and feel about themselves. Now, obviously, talking about body image, and, and that's probably a whole different conversation. Um, but for this context, you know, sometimes teenagers can can use that summer term to really experiment with their diet, or they allow their stress to take over and control their diets. What kind mm-hmm. of in, what kind of impact have you seen, and what relationship have you seen between exam anxiety, peer pressure, and and, and one's diet? Yeah, it's really difficult because they're going through a time where they're incredibly self conscious. And so, like you said, then I met the, the idea of experimenting with food and you've got that body dysmorphia and you know, all these different things trying to look a certain way. When it comes to revising, I think schools very often say things like, you know, fish oils, good for the brain, that sort of thing. And yeah. you know, those, yeah, yeah. Eat, eat something before, you know, get a good get a good meal in. But also, like I said earlier, students now, they are so much more aware of the world than we ever were. They, because of the social media, because of the internet, because of... The, the technology, they are so much more aware. And so actually having a much more frank conversation with them, like if you, any parents out there have a research of something called the SMILES trial, spelled SMILES with a little S, the SMILES trial. Yeah. And that looked at, um, it was more with adults, but it looked at the impact of having a balanced diet, low on sugar, and the impact that had on anxiety, depression, all sorts. The results are frightening. So you don't have to buy in anything specific. You don't have to try and, trick your child but having them like a, a genuinely you know level-headed conversation about the importance of eating just a balanced normal diet is massive honestly and ultimately massive. obviously you know if if if, if, a, if a if a teenager during their exam period is not eating properly not eating well not having a like you say a balanced diet that's going to have an impact on their ability to revise it's going to have an impact on their ability to to cope with the stress that comes with the exams and it's going to have an impact on their ability to concentrate, isn't it? All of these things will, will, will play negatively on their ability to do well in their exams. Yeah. And again, unfortunately, we see it more and more with girls. You know, they, they, they sometimes go all day without eating. And the morning of an exam, you know, they might not have anything. And so it's about them understanding that that link between food and not only their energy, but also the exam. You know, if and, and that that can work with a lot of students. You're not trying to force them into eating, but they have to understand that food is a fuel, not only for the body, but also for the mind. So sometimes, Michael, what we get is, uh, I've had the experience of of young people saying that actually I don't have time to eat in the evening or I don't have time to have breakfast in the morning because in the evening I've got to get my revision done and in the morning of an exam I've got to cram last minute. So eating gets in the way. So parents really ultimately have a responsibility at home to ensure, don't they, that they are giving their children an appropriate and balanced diet whilst they are revising for their exams. Absolutely. And I think, and you said then it's that, it's the job, it's the necessity to keep that food, have it there in the morning ready for them so that it's, make it easy for them to grab. You know, we're not trying to, we're not trying to say as parents that we have to try and fit everything around their exam, but it's very difficult for a teenager to think outside of their stress and their anxiety. So we need to do all we can to make sure they get that food. So for example, you know, my dad used to make me every single morning, like a, a ham and cheese toasty. Yeah, that was my thing. And so he, you know, he got a bit earlier, made it for me because he then knew that I'd eat it definitely. And also, my mum used to for- I say she used to force feed me, but my mum used to make us our salad before every single meal. She used to put a salad in front of us 
And so it was quite old school, but it worked. And now, you know, I, I realised the importance of having a balanced, you know, a lot of green in, in my diet because of what happened back then. So I think yeah. like you, you've got to keep doing the, the same things over and over again as parents, because trust me, it is having an impact. That's that's the bottom line. What you are doing with your child is having an impact in a good way. They might not always say thank you. They might not always yeah. say the right things here. And you might you might feel like they're, they're not taking notice. But trust me, you are you are installing something so, so important. Yeah. So if you were to sort of, you know, the focus really is exam anxiety and, and that whole peer pressure element of it. If you were to summarise some sort of, you know, top tips for, for parents to help deal with the exam anxiety that their children might be going through, their teenage children might be going through. Uh, and we've talked about GCSE and A-level. We forget, actually, and it's unfair to forget that some children get really anxious about their end-of-year exams, which ultimately we know have no major impact on their academic record. But some of them take it really seriously. If I don't do well in the end-of-year eight exam, I'm going to be dropped a set in, in year nine. That's going to have an impact. So what, what kind of top tips can we give to our parents to really support their children um, if they notice and see that they're going through exam anxiety? Yes, the first thing is that to really make yourself aware of where they're at. What I mean by that is sometimes as adults, because like you said, how busy we are and, you know, we've got our own jobs, we're constantly going, set aside five minutes each day just to sort of like make yourself aware of how they are. You know, are you noticing any differences? Are you noticing they're being more reclusive? Are you noticing them doing things that they normally wouldn't for a number of weeks or for a number of days? That's the first thing. So to look out for the signs is to make sure that you're putting time aside to check in with them. And don't make... And don't make it so direct. Don't walk in there and say, you know, are you stressed about the exams? Just <laughs> talk to them genuinely like how you would and just look out for any signs of things being not quite right in that sense. Um, the second thing is to 100% lead by example. So when it comes to walking, diet, social connections, talking about exams, talking about the future, if you do it, they'll follow you. Okay, They might not do it every single time, but they are much more likely to do it if you lead by example. And I think the other thing is, well, just to know that there's a lot of help out there. You know, there are diff- there's a lot of organisations and a lot of different things that you can reach out to. Well, yeah, that's um, and obviously we'll, we'll, we will we will come on to that because that's important to talk about. I'm j- I'm just thinking, you know, from an exam anxiety point of view, we're giving sort of advice and tips to to to, to deal with the issue at home. But we know full well that uh, even with the best will in the world and even with you know well intentioned parents, sometimes there is the case that the support they provide just isn't enough. And exam anxiety can lead to incredible stress. It can lead to depression. It can lead to tragic uh, events taking place, really. So if a parent um, says that they've tried everything, they've, they've, they've done some of the things that you've said, they've, they've, they've researched things and, they're, and they're, they're trying to support their kids, ultimately they need professional help. Where can they go? What kind of places can we signpost them to so they can access some of that support to help their children with their exam anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first point is always, you know, to go to the GP. And what's really, really important, I think, first of all, talk to the school, you know, talk to um, whether it be the, the Senko, the exam office, the head of year, whatever it is, keep the school involved. But I also, another top tip is don't panic the student, don't panic your child by saying to them, right, we're going to get help from the school, we're going to tell them, tell them, tell them. When you ring the school up, make it subtle. Say, be honest with them about how bad it maybe is, but tell them that you want them to be subtle with your child. Because the last thing a child wants is for the head of year to storm to their classroom, pull them out and start asking them, you know, how they are and all that. So I think it does happen sometimes, doesn't it, sadly? That does happen. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's about telling the school the truth, but equally also telling the school that, look, you know, they're very self-conscious. So can we make sure that things are done, you know, on a lighter note? 
Um, and when it comes to GP, you know, the, the GP is there as a great first point of contact. Um, and again, I'd, I'd personally, I'd keep it very, very sort of non-serious. You know, I'm not saying joke around with it, but if you say to a child, we're going to the GP, straight away they think I'm not very well. And instead, you could just say, you know, we could talk about, I know you've been stressed. And so let's go and see what we have to, let's, let's see what we have to say. And yeah. it's five minutes. If you don't want to stay, we don't have to stay, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then when it comes to other places, there's a great website called Mind Ed. So Mind, Mind Ed. Yeah, Mind Ed, Mind Ed. Um, and also a company called Education Support. They they give free 24-7 advice. That was what um, Education Support, was it? Yeah, Education Support. And also um, Place to Be, so Place Number yeah, Two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the great thing about them, the same with you know Young Minds, Mind Ed, Place to Be, it's free 24-7 text and online and phone support. So a lot of students maybe don't want to talk to their parents but want to talk to somebody. They don't want to go to the GP. That's a great option as well. You know, you're talking to somebody. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to give anything about you. But they could give you that bit of advice or your, the parents listening to this, a bit of advice that, you know, it's more accessible. So they're really good. And ultimately, some of those some of those organisations you've mentioned, Place to Be and Young Minds, uh, you know, parents shouldn't be alarmed and put off by the fact that most, you know, you don't go to these organisations when something serious is happening. Exam anxiety <laughs> is a genuine, legitimate issue, which can become very serious if the if the right support is not into place, put into place. Excuse me. So actually, you should make those calls, send those emails whenever you notice there's a there's a problem to get that support and get that advice from professionals who deal with this kind of stuff on a regular basis. Yeah, and you know like you said they're there for a reason you know they're not there as some sort of um crisis team they're there literally for this very reason that if you're slightly concerned about your child being you know overworking or struggling with a bit of anxiety or struggling with stress that's the, the exact reason why they were created because you think someone like young minds who are a huge organization they're a huge organization because the majority of students struggle at some time we yeah. all do and yeah. so that's why they're, you know, they're such a big organisation because all students will go through a time where they do struggle. And so as a parent, just reaching out for a bit of extra advice, absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. No, I, I totally agree. Um, look, Michael, I, I think that's a, a great sort of summary on, on, on some of the issues that young people face when it comes to exams and obviously uh, the anxiety they face there, the peer pressure. We've touched upon diet issues as well. Um, and the signposting has, has, has been really, really great. So, Michael, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you, Damien. Thanks a lot.